Life is controlled by spiritual things. It's not controlled by our effort. It's what is together in the realm of the spirit that decides what happens on the earth. And the most powerful way we connect with the things of the spirit is through the words that we speak. And that's why we always start our study by speaking God's word. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right. Amen. Amen. I said amen. Amen. If you believe, you say an amen. Amen. That is your portion today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, I declare that understanding is your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. Clarity is your portion in the name of Jesus. Amen. Direction is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what you need to do to get the results that the Lord wants in your life. You will get to understand it today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. The Lord is good. Let's take our seats quickly and get into our work for this afternoon or this evening. All right, it's our school of uh, Bible exegesis again. Let's continue studying the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. We have been on that for some time. We should be coming to an end uh, in a short while. Now we'll just quickly continue from where we stopped. Can we just open quickly to the book of Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3 is where we are going to start today. Now, what this is going to look like for us is a summary of the things that we have been looking at in the uh, book of Ephesians chapter 4 into chapter 5, which we began to look at about two meetings ago. Now, remember what we said that when Paul was writing, the writings were kind of broken into two aspects. There's a foundational and spiritual aspect, and then there is the application aspect, all right? The things that are real and tangible in the realm of the spirit on the physical realm, there's a way they manifest. Without that manifestation, faith, James says, without works is dead. That is, if a man says, these are the real things concerning my life, and is not producing these results, uh, Peter was even saying it, that the fellow is blind. He's not seeing what is real in the realm of the spirit. If he could see those things, he would produce certain results that are in keeping with what he's seeing. That's just the way life is. So how you judge things that are invisible is by the things that you see physically. And that's what we've been looking at. So Paul first established those fundamental spiritual truths, and then he began to show the practical application of it, of them. And we have looked at the fact that in Christianity, the commandments are innumerable. Each time in life, you keep on discovering something. And we have seen that what the Bible says is that we should be careful, we should learn, we should pay attention, so as to know that which pleases God. It's something we must consciously do. That the way I'm, I'm reacting to this situation in my life is that pleasing to God. If you come to the conclusion that it is wrong, then what you do is to repent of your last reaction and ask Him for grace to do what is right next time. That's what it means when it says, God will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That constant progress is what Christianity is about. Christianity, you must have a constant progress in your life. Like Peter was saying, if these things are yours and are increasing, that constant increase is what, is what makes you a good Christian. 
If you are not increasing, automatically you are depleting. You are reducing. All right? Your level of faith, your level of confidence, your ability to persevere, your kindness, your ability to show love should constantly improve as a believer. If it's on the same level as it was five years ago, the fact is that you are going down, you do not realize it. All right? And these are things you must pursue. You don't expect them to come naturally. You work hard at them. You work hard at them. It's a work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work hard at them, making sure they are always increasing. So let's continue reading. What we're going to read this morning is like a summary, like I said, of what we read earlier in the book of um, Ephesians. And I'll, I'll be quick with it. I'll read everything through without passing any serious comments. And then I have only two things I want to speak on in that area because every other thing that is inside there, we have dealt with while looking at them from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians are very parallel. The same things you find in both of them to most of the, all right, to the greatest, to the greatest extent. Now let's continue reading from verse 1. To the, uh, the Colossians, he wrote this way, ending the theoretical one in chapter 2, what we have divided into chapter 2. Now this is where the practical one be, begins in, for the letter to the Colossians. Like I said, it parallels what we have read in the book of Ephesians, so we'll not spend more time, uh, much time on it again. Now from verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life in Christ, with Christ, remember, I'm using the New Living Translation. I'll just read everything quickly to verse um, 17 before we go to the next major aspect. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. My new living, new American standard uses this expression. Keep seeking the things above. Set your sights, new living translation says, on the realities of heaven. Verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Because I'm going to get back to that, all right, to explain that. But let's just read everything through and through. So put, on, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. We read this in Ephesians. Worshipping the things of this world. That's what a greedy person is doing. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when, you, when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew, that is, in this new life as a believer, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us, that is, all of us believers. He said in verse 12, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults 
and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now notice verse 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through, through him to God the Father. I'm stopping reading there. That's verse 17. I just felt like reading everything through and through without any um, serious interruptions. Um, it's the third time I'm saying it. This is a summary of everything we read in the Ephesians, in the, in the letter to the Ephesians in the last two meetings, all right, sessions. So uh, let's just summarize these things that are here because we have talked about them before. Now we see here the same thing we have been reading. Because we are believers, our character must be different. The way we do things must be, must be different. We are, we are to forsake the ways of this world. We are to forsake every appearance of iniquity. He said in verse 5, Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. That's what he is. He said, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. We have looked at the fact that we should not be deceived, like Paul emphasized in that letter to the Ephesians, that these things don't matter. We know they matter. We know they matter. This is where Christians are supposed to put their energy in to show that the life of God is actually working in them. We know these things matter. What the world tries to do it's okay. I mean, and that's, what, that's the major problem the church has to face, is to make it look as if you can combine these things as long as you look outwardly like a good Christian. Paul said, no, it's not like that. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. That's what he says. So anybody who wants to get away from the anger of God should get away from these sins. God is not partial. The thing that God does for his children is that it's not that he makes them not, uh, these, these rules don't uh, apply to them. No, what he does is to give them the ability to live above the, th- above the things that are dangerous. That's what he does. He doesn't say that now because my, you are, you are a child of my, mine, even if you are a liar, it doesn't matter. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. He doesn't say that because if you are a fornicator, it doesn't matter. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. If you are an adulterer, it does not matter. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. It's a fat lie. Anybody says that to you, the person is deceiving you. We said it last time. Paul said, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. What are you supposed to do as a believer? You find out, like Paul said, you are no longer in darkness. You are now in the light. Because you know what is right, you put in the effort. You have grace on your side. And you work, all right, on yourself so that the life of Christ is manifested in you. So that you find that that grace working in you. You know, John said, the law came by Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus. What that means is that God doesn't just tell us what to do as Christians. He gives us the ability to do the things that are right. And that's what we'll keep on pursuing as believers. And there's a method for us to, for, to do that. I don't know what I said I was going to get into it. Okay. We've talked about this different times. Okay, dominion over sin. I talked about it. Go and get the series. Dominion over sin. What God does is that if you find something is wrong in your life, you take it to God in prayer. All right? You confess your sins and trust him for grace to overcome them. That's work for God. 
Walking like that until the life of God is manifested in you in that area is what is called working for God. It is not going to church to go and sweep the place. It is not giving an offering. Those things are good, but they are secondary to these spiritual qualities being manifested. Okay? So we have been looking at that. Alright, there's something I just want to bring out here. From this um, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, uh, the earlier parts of this chapter 3. He says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. That's New American Standard um, rendering. Keep seeking the things above. He says, set your mind on the things above. Now, he said this before he now began to explain, don't do this, don't do that. Now, this is my own take on that. This is what comes to me reading that. What we do in life is a result of what our focus is on. Are you getting what I'm going to say here? Let, let me just please say that. The problem a lot of people have in life is that they want to control the fruit. They don't realize that fruits are hard to control. Or let me say branches are hard to control. The thing you should control is the root. The Bible talks about the root of bitterness springing up, defiling people. What was he saying there? You see people do what is evil. It is not the doing, it's not the thing they did that is the primary problem. It's that inside them there was bitterness. That root is invisible. It's, on the, it's, it's beneath the surface. But it's there, okay, growing. Then one day it shows up. What you now find in fighting, in murder and all of that, those things are the, the manifestations of the root. It is difficult to control the stem, the, the branches, the fruit, if you don't control the root. It's very, very difficult. Let me give another example. He said the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Now, what that means is that no matter what a Christian tries to do so that he doesn't do all sorts of evil, if he loves money, forget it, he will do it. So Paul is saying here, listen, this is how to ensure that these things we are saying, all right, are real in your life. We have established some things before now in the previous chapters. Set your mind on those things. Set your mind on those things. When you set your mind on those things, the practical behavior that's in keeping with godliness will be easy for you. you, Are you getting my point here? You know, the other day I was talking to one of my colleagues. We met in my, my children were entering a new school, so I went to the school for some things, and um, he and I got talking. He now asked me a question. Uh, Do you still do this and this? I said, no, I don't have time. So the zone is that "Ah, you don't have time. That's talking about private practice. I said, I don't have time. All right? So we're just discussing some issues. He now made a statement. I told my wife later, I didn't even think about it. He said, wow. He said, no, okay, and I, and I said something. I said, a man has to make up his mind what he wants to do with his life. Okay? I said, you just have to make up your mind. And, of course, the Jesus was talking about money and all of that. Will you see any enough? Will you do any enough? Anyway, so that's what was good. I just said, a man has to make up his mind what he wants to do with his life. All right? That I have a, I have a very busy schedule in ministry. And it wasn't even this bad when I made, I mean, I wasn't that busy when I made those decisions many years ago. He now said something. He said, Chief, it's called contentment. I never, I never thought of it as contentment until he said it. He said it's called contentment. I was when I got home, I said, my wife, they say it's contentment too. <laughs> it didn't even cross my mind like that until he uttered those words. Now, this is the point I'm going to make here. Listen. No matter if, if you don't, you know, if you don't achieve a particular spiritual state in what, you may not even think about it in a particular area. 
Making the right decisions is hard in other areas. Let's get practical about contentment. I have thought about what was contentment. There are many definitions. I'll give you one, the one my best man gave. He said, contentment is knowing your, your face in life and living like you are there. He said that is contentment. That it is not contentment for Dangote to be queuing up, waiting for an Arctic flight. That would be stupidity, not contentment. Are you getting my point here? Yes, the reason being that he has too many things to do. His time is very, very busy. So he can't afford that. That would be fooling himself, trying, trying to do um, uh, false humility. That's what they call false humility. There's one man, one, at the time, the richest man in the world, still one of the top richest men, Warren Buffett. For a long time, he didn't have a private jet, okay? <laughs> then one day, he bought one. And if he would not start criticizing him. So you know what he called the name of his private jet? Some of you may know, if you're into these business things. You know, every, every craft has a name. His own is indefensible. <laughs> Just leave me alone. <laughs> you get my point. I can't explain it. <laughs> Are you getting my point here? And I think about it. The guy is, in one particular year, we calculated that he was making, that he made like, is it, on the average, is it $13 million an hour or a day? We calculated it. There was a year he made so many billions of dollars, but we broke it down to an hourly income. It came to, I think, $13 million an hour. This man is laughing. <laughs> he said he should be tightened. <laughs> now, so my friend said, that's contentment. Just know your place in life. Don't struggle with anybody. Okay? Know your place. I've used the extreme, okay? But there's another extreme. The other extreme is, don't go and be blind flight ticket if you can't pay for it. If you can't pay for it, your time is not worth that. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You don't pretend. Go to the bus park, pay, queue, and sit down, pray over the car, use your presence to bless everybody else in the vehicle. Stop owing money because you want to fly. Why? Because uh, people will think that, uh, people will have some stupid ideas that that's where you meet big people. Small people meeting big people doesn't make them big. <laughs> are you getting my point? I mean, stop pretending that you are big if you are not big. When you are big, it will show by itself. Do you understand what I'm going to say here? It is not as if I, somebody tries to be big. That's why he's big. If he's just big, he's just big. So what is contentment? Know the place you are in life. If you have not reached a particular point, don't pretend. Don't pretend. One of the things God gave me as a gift long ago is this, I know the great pretend. No, 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 no. You know, one of my reasons God gave me enlightenment and he let me know that the other people on your left and your right are not better than you. Most of them are pretenders. The other ones that are not pretenders, they don't care. Are you getting my point? Yeah. Yes, they don't care. They don't care. I mean, you know, have you ever been to, a, maybe you go to a dinner for the first time in a kind of hyper-touch environment. With the, the lady spoons like this, lady knives like this, and after seven things you can't pronounce, things you can't identify. <laughs> Those days, I learned it early. I know they worry you. You know why I don't worry? I'll tell you one, one, one happened. Once we were on campus, we organized, they organized one particular dinner, and they, I was invited for certain reasons. They now put me, when I entered, they now decided that I was fitting for the high table. They now came and served the, what they call the opener, just served food. I couldn't touch my own because I didn't know where to start. And I was on the high table. Are you getting my point? So you know what? I was just waiting for somebody on my left or my right to start something. One guy now came in, and he was even my junior, or about mate. 
He came in late. He was a very loud and happy person. He just sat down there. Just used his bare hands and collected his chicken. <laughs> and he started eating. And he was feeling very happy. That was when I made up my mind that there's no need. So now, uh, no, and then, again, God gave me that. My wife can testify to it. I don't, look. If, if, I'm, if I'm assuming I'm flying first class for the first time, if I see the place looking, I will tell the guy beside me, Hello, sir. This is my first time flying first class. My God, you guys have been enjoying without us. I will say it like that. And I'll cross my leg. I'll make friends sharp, sharp. Say, guys, if I press this button, I will be to eject you. <laughs> we'll just... The man is going to laugh. I don't care whether you are the Sultan of Brunei, whatever you are. We are both in the first class today. And you have to endure me. I won't pretend. Look, I won't pretend. I told you story that the first time I had to buy fuel in the U.S., my brother-in-law had traveled. He left the car with me. I had to drive to work. Well, I had to drive to my park and ride to pick my bus, to where I take a bus to work. So, buying fuel, there's no fuel attendant. There's nothing. There's just filling station. There's just your car. And then your credit card. It wasn't hard. You know, I learned all this grace long ago. I just drove up there, parked my car, and came out and waited. <laughs> so one woman came up to buy fuel. I just approached her very nicely. Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm a Nigerian. I'm just here for a few weeks. I don't know how to do this. There's no wahala. And she gladly collected my card, walked up there, put it in, showed me this, showed me that, explained everything. How much fuel do you want? I told her. We did, I did, I showed me everything. I dispensed my fuel. I thanked her very much. And that was the last time I asked anybody. There's no pretend. If I go to America, there's one thing I like to do. I don't wear American clothes. I always wear African clothes. So once you see me from, from far, you know, this guy no be, no be one of our guys. So it's true. Last time my wife and I traveled, because the, the way her own dress was even louder than my own. African from 500 kilometers. My own is, listen, in this life, I know they pretend for anybody. If you come park a Bentley outside, I say, Pastor, enter. I will enter and say, Oh boy, is this a Bentley? I will jump inside it. Or someone want to pretend like we are used to it. <laughs> this poverty stricken guy from top to bottom, he's used to it. Spare Bentley, he can't. <laughs> the Lord is good. We're supposed to be studying the Bible. Why are we just in here? We're just playing. We should be reading the Bible. Contentment. This is my definition of contentment. Listen, know where you are in life. Don't pretend for anybody. Don't try to, have, don't try to perform for anybody. Yes, I learned that long ago. It makes my life very, very, very easy. It makes my life easy. I hope you are getting my point here. Yes, and this is another, my definition for contentment. Know how to manage your resources. That's one definition of contentment that's very important. Know how to manage your resources. If your money is 10,000 there, don't start believing God that it will be 100,000. It is 10,000. I hope you get my point. Yes, Use that 10,000 to get a 100,000 error result. Now, there's a reason I'm saying all of these things. He said, focus your minds on the things that are above. Focus your minds on the things that are above. If your mind is focused on the things that are above, these outward things are easy. 
for you, all right, to perform. It's easy to be content. For example, when you realize and you tell yourself every day, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. What are the things that are above? Let's not talk about that for a moment. The things that are above are simply the things that are in the previous chapters. Where he talked about the fact that you have been crucified with Christ, you have been raised with him, the fact that your sins are forgiven, the fact that you, you belong to God, the fact that God has a plan for your life. These are the things that are above. The fact that the word of God is working in your life. Those are the things that are above. The doctrines of God we are talking about. If a man is faithful, in due season, God will come all right, and manifest. He said, occupy with this until I come. Those are the things that are above. When we focus on the things that are true, the word of God is true, things that are established in heavens, he said, focus on them, you will discover that outwardly, it's easy to perform all of these things. That's what, look, I'm not going to say, speak much more um, um, about that. Bear that in mind. Doing what is right is easy if your focus is in the right place. That's what I'm going to emphasize. Doing what is right is easy if your focus is in the right place. If somebody still tells you by the age of 40 you don't have your own house, it means you're a failure and you believe it, you will steal. It, listen to me. No matter how you fast and pray, no matter how you try, pressure will come to you and you will steal. Let me take, let's take this as an example. Promotion, we said, exaltation does not come from the east or from the west or from the south. We know that God is judged. If you focus on that, making decisions about your life is easy. Sometimes I see Christians and they still have this conviction. You know, the thing is pushing them that once they get a visa to one European or North American country, they are made. Listen, if you focus on that, you will lie on your visa application. These roots, they control the fruits. They control the branches. That's why a believer must set himself, set herself on learning what is true. Once you know what is true, doing what is right is very, very easy. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. Alright? So, Paul said that if we do this, let's focus on the things that are above. Knowing that your reward is coming from God. Knowing that the person you are trying to please is above. Then, certainly, every other thing that he wrote that we have been talking about for the last few days. Consider your members on the earth as dead to immorality, impurity. Don't be greedy. All of those things. Don't walk in malice. Don't use dirty language. Don't lie to one another. If you consider, if your eyes are focused on the things that are above, performing these things will be easy and automatic. That's the first point I want to take from here. All the other things, I'm not repeating them because we discussed them looking at that portion from Ephesians. Now, please pause here, okay? Just look at that. And quickly go back to that book of Ephesians. There's something I want to bring up from there. Ephesians chapter 5. We talked about it the other day. In, in, that's last time. He says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And he said, verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can you see that? Now go down to that Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. When I wanted to talk about that, he said, Let the word of Christ in all his richness fill your lives. He now said, let me just do the same translation for a moment. Alright, so as I can get it um, together. 
Do not be drunk with wine, for this is excess or dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can you see what I'm going to do here? In Colossians it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Are you getting my point? In Ephesians it says what? Be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another. What is it telling you? Are you getting what I'm going to say here? That is, the way to be filled with the Spirit is what? To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Essentially, he was saying the same thing. I know we talked about that last time. That how do you get drunk? Is it by glancing at a bottle of beer? If you want to get drunk, he said, let's make pastor drunk. Somebody will not say, while I'm preaching, they balance a bottle of beer at the back. So I'm looking at it and as I'm preaching, am I going to get drunk like that? How does a man get drunk? He drinks and the, and the carton of beer dwells in him richly. I hope you are getting my point. <laughs> it is when the drink, the, the liquid dwells in you richly that you get drunk. And Paul said, instead of that, let something else dwell in you richly. What is that? The word of Christ. What was he saying? The way by which we stay being filled with the Spirit. Let me clarify. He wasn't saying be filled once and for all with the Spirit. He said be filled and continually be filled with the Spirit. And he's telling us here, the way by which you do it is by letting the Word of Christ dwell in us continually. Let me ask you a simple question. As you came to my house on Saturday. Today's what? Tuesday, okay. Let's even say you came to my house on Sunday night. They say, where's Pastor? My wife didn't tell you anything. Then my son says, Daddy can't come down. Since early this evening, he's been on some bottles. And at the seventh bottle, he fell down. So his pastor is upstairs. He's sleeping. Daddy is drunk, right? Let me ask you a question. If you come back on Tuesday morning, will you know? No, no. Will you know? Why not? It has cleared. It's one off. This is the truth. That's how it is with the word of God. The one that filled you last year, that was exciting you, by today it has worn off. You're back to normal. That excitement that gave you confidence in the midst of economic difficulty, it has worn off. The excitement that your wife saw in you and quickly married you, it has gone. You say, oh, this man loves the Lord. It has gone. It will always go. It's happened to you. You see preachers that you love so much. Five years later, they say the man is coming to town. You go there and listen to him. You don't know what he's talking about. Do you know why? The feeling of the spirit is one off. It has one off. It's no longer with him anymore. Why? It's not something you grab once and it stays with you forever. It's not. It is something that is with you as you are constantly being filled with the word of Christ. Listen, you don't drink once and be drunk for a whole week. You drink today, you're drunk for today. Maximum 12 hours later, your eye don't clear, like we say. After some hours, your eyes will clear. And Paul was saying to us in effect, that is the same thing with this being filled with the Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit now because the word entered you and you are, who you are so excited. And they say, oh, there's economic difficulty. You say, what does it matter? The lo- I mean, you're behaving like a drunk person. You can't see the realities in quotes. Because you are seeing a higher reality. The man who knew you there, then, he now came, came, comes back later. 
You are talking. You are criticizing the government. You are worried. In that sense, the pressures of life. Listen, the pressures of life did not change you. They only distracted you so you are no longer as filled as you used to be. Before when you wake up in the morning, you spend the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour feeding on the word of God seriously. Declaring God's word. Prophesying over your day. Every time you get a book, you quickly go through it. You hear there's one new message. You rush for it. You listen to it. That's why you were behaving the way you were behaving. But now you have married. You have been promoted. You have to be at work past seven. Before that, you do school run and drop two children in two different schools. That's what happened. It's not the pressures of life that's in your mind. It's the distraction that they constituted so that you are not as filled with the spiritual wine as you used to be. What I want to emphasize is that no matter how filled you are today, just like wine is temporary. Just like food. Listen, no. When he said, be filled with the Spirit, what was he saying? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Having read the scriptures, that was what Paul was saying. That's why I said, let's read two of them side by side. You read in Colossians chapter 3, he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Saying the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He was saying the same thing in both situations. He used the expression in one place, let the word dwell in you richly. In the other place, he said, be filled with the Spirit. He was saying the same thing. I hope you've got my point. The Lord is good. Let's just continue, alright? So at this point, let's switch to some other things that Paul began to speak about. Now, how do we do this? Let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Let's start from Ephesians. Now, Paul began to speak about the matter of relationships. You will find that in Colossians chapter... Okay, let's... You know what we're going to do? Let's not go back there yet. Let's just continue um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's just continue that. Paul said, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now, before we continue, let me just, there was an introduction I wanted to give. Now, relationships are very important in life. Alright? Relationships are very important. When you want to define love, love is defined on the basis of relationships. And then on the basis of the, and then you examine the direction in which you are considering the definition of the word love. What am I going to say? If you want to talk about love, it's not abstract. It's either love between God and man. And then you look at love of God for man and the love of man for God. Are you getting my point? There is love between a husband and his wife and love between a wife and her husband. The definition of love is not a feeling. Let me quickly explain that. There are different definitions for love in the scriptures. The different words that in the Greek you see for love. Some of them appear like Philip. Okay? There are different parts. The most important one is one that's called agape. And agape defines a love that's only defined by the actions it takes. It is not how it feels. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. You see, that's agape love. It made him give. It's a love that's expressed in action. There are other kinds of love, alright? There's love of feeling. There's love of sexual attraction. There are all kinds of them in this field. There are about four different Greek words that are used. 
but we're not doing the detailed analysis. I just want to say, when you're talking about proper love in the scriptures, that agape love, it always expresses itself in a particular way. You check the people that you are looking at, their lives, you look at the direction in which you are considering it. So God and man, in which direction? So you look at it, it says, for God so loved that he did what? He gave. So the love of God for man is shown in what? Giving. God loved the alien amongst you. He gave him food and clothing. Are you getting my point? That's how love is. Love gives. Then let's not go back to the love of man for God. It's not giving. Giving is not the expression of the love of man for God. Jesus said, if a man loves me, he will keep my word. So God loves, he gives. Man loves, he obeys. The sign of the love of man for God is obedience. So when it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, what it means is that you will obey him with every bit of effort. You will put every energy into obeying God. God doesn't want hugs. He does not appreciate kisses. Are you getting my point? You don't hug him. You can't wrap your hand around him. If hands have to be wrapped, he will wrap his hands around you. And there are many scriptures for that. He covered you with his feathers. I would have loved to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. That's what God does. He covers you. You can't hug the Lord back. So, what is love of man for God? It is what? Obedience. Jesus said it clearly. If a man loves me, he will keep my word. And the father will love him. Now, so let's get this thing clear. Some people tell me, they say, show your love for God. You give him a special offering today. Believe me, God doesn't know the meaning of that. Your offering does not show any... Please, I'm sorry. God knows I can give him anything. Know the truth? He's not interested. He said it, if I were hungry, I wouldn't discuss it with you. And if you look at the context, you will see that he was saying, he said, a thousand, the, the, the earth is mine, the fullness thereof. He said, the cattle on a thousand hills, they are all mine. What does that tell you? Anything he has in abundance, he will not discuss with it with anybody. What does it mean? It's not just cattle. Anything I have, I won't discuss with anybody if I need. So don't just wake up in the morning and say, let me give an offering to show I love God. Offering giving is to show that you love somebody else. Are you getting my point? <laughs> I don't know whether you are getting my point. Yes, it's, look, it's very important to understand this. What should you do to show you love God? You obey Him. You obey Him. You obey Him. So if you steal and give an offering, you will die. The offering doesn't matter. Why? The money was gotten out of disobedience. So it's called the money of witchcraft. So if you see anybody going to steal and then coming to give offering... That's to report yourself early. Because when you didn't give the offering, nobody asked where you were getting money from. Now you brought the offering. The angel will say, ah, when did that boy start giving five million? He said, you didn't hear? No. What's happening there? He's not a thief. Ah! Are, you, are you getting my point? So if you are stealing, please, don't, don't bring the money. You will live a little longer. <laughs> Anything we do, 
Please go and read my book, How to Work for God and Grace to Prosper. And uh, who will pay for this? I explain all of these things in there. Money is important, amen? amen? But it does not replace obedience to God. We obey God first. And then look at that money matter. We use our money the way he said we should use it. If you deprive one to give to the other, you are, you are an untrustworthy servant. What do I mean by that? It's school, uh, school fees period now, right? There are people who brag on it. I would rather not pay my children's school fees so that the work of God will not lie fallow. What's the work of God? You want to roof a church building. You should know people that are smoking. I said to God, this is your house must be finished because I don't live in any house. Are you alright? I don't live in any house. You are finishing my house? Is it third week your children are going to school? They are about to send them out of school. You are, you are a disgrace to me. You don't understand what I'm saying. I might say you don't give to the house of God. You know I will be a crazy pastor to say that. Do you know how much we spend here? This place may look small, but our reach is extensive. Extensive. We spend the money in millions of naira, and we don't have a tree that grows it. It grows out of brethren's pockets. Are you getting my point? Yes. We just get emails, oh, this ministry has been a blessing. Please, we'd like to give towards it. What's your account number? And that's how money just filtering in. 1,000, 5,000, 10, 20, 50, 100, 500, 1. I'm serious. So I appreciate the gifts that the people of God give to the work of God. But if you want to give to God, he said, the sign of your love for me is what? Obedience. So that money, you share it appropriately. Don't focus on yourself alone. The money is 5,000 and I will start giving each person his portion. For the preaching of the word of God, this is their portion. To honor my parents, this is their, their portion. To pay a school fees period, this is their portion. For children to eat and sleep while blessing God, not angry with their father and God the father combined. This is true. This is their portion. As you appropriate their portion, just the only thing I advise you is put yourself last. Your shirt is last. Your new car is last. Are you getting my point? All these other things, yes, that's good discipline. Remember that song, J-O-Y. What does it mean? Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. It's still an appropriate way to manage your money. I hope you get my point. When you do that and you are consistent, that way you are obeying God. You can't give God heavy money now. And then you go and start saying, I'm saving for the future. You never can know what tomorrow will hold. You are disobeying him. He said, take no thought for the morrow. Are you seeing my point? So even though you calculated 10%, you are still a criminal. Why? He gave a direct instruction. You are disobeying it. He said, God has given you your 10%. God said, hey, that one you kept in the bank. It has made this your 10% stupid. Why? You think you can pay me off? No. If a Christian especially loves me, he obeys me entirely. I say, don't worry about tomorrow. It means don't worry about tomorrow. Every day you say you have given me an offering. In the office, everybody's whining and complaining and cursing and, and you join them. All your offering is inconsequential. Because you are disobeying me entirely. They not give some money. See, you are giving to you haven't given to me. You are an idolater. You think because you are giving an offering, I should be impressed. You are owning everybody in your office. You are buying things that you can't, like I keep on saying, 
you buy a shirt and you pay for three months. Why should you be working and you are taking three months to pay for one shirt? If it's too expensive, buy a cheaper one. Is that not so? Contentment is what? Knowing your place in life. Every place you are in life is temporary. I hope you get my point. Yes, sir. You wore a cheap shirt today does not mean it will still be cheap next week or next year. Please, I hope you are getting what I'm saying. Yes, Please, that's what it means to obey God. Love for God is defined by obedience to his word. Not a sacrifice that will pain you. Say, so if it doesn't pain you, it's not the sacrifice. It's a lie. Once the money is your own, it's a sacrifice. David said, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. What it means is that I cannot be given an offering, a sacrifice, and you are the one pay. He said, if it doesn't pain you, it's not a sacrifice. That is not true. It's not true. Because the David that gave, what he gave was a tertiary amount compared to his worth. 